In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Leiter. It's always game day in Cleveland, brought to you locally by Smiley One, heating, cooling, and plumbing. Bryant and Smiley One, the right choice for your comfort. We get set for the Saturday game. We'll talk about the weather in a second, but it's also, I'm wondering, like, if the Cavaliers were doing this game on Saturday and not the Browns, we probably would have, I don't know, a 30, 35-minute tribute video to Jarvis Landry when he steps inside the stadium. Um, Jarvis Landry returns to Cleveland. Your thoughts, because I know the players talked about that this week, Daryl, and the respect for him and what he did for the organization while he was here uh, was brought out by the players earlier this week. Yeah, no no question about it. He is still beloved in the locker room, and deservedly so. Um, I would say of the most influential Cleveland Browns since 1999. Jarvis Landry's on the Mount Rushmore. Um, he was so instrumental in changing the attitude within that building. And I, and it goes well beyond the it's contagious speech, which obviously he is famous for uh, during the, the hard knocks uh, season that, that featured the Browns. And, and while that was a seminal moment or um, <clears throat> a, a defining moment, um, like he really did walk the walk on that because he played through so much stuff when he was here. Kevin Stefanski even mentioned how he marveled at, at how Jarvis was able uh, to play through injury and whatnot. But the the respect for Jarvis is deserved. And, and my feeling is, even though he was only here for four years, Andy, he should be a Browns legend, 100%. Five years, because it's five years after retirement, you're eligible. Jarvis Landry unequivocally should be a Browns legend. Shouldn't even be a discussion. He meant that much. He was a victim of a couple of things. One, his body started to break down a little bit. He's been dealing with some injuries uh, with the Saints this season. Still, unfortunately, last year limited to 12 games uh, because of injury. And then the business of football, right? I mean, he was making too much money. They couldn't really uh, come to an agreement on a restructure, so they went ahead and released him. But don't take uh, the release of a player as a sign of a lack of respect for a player. It's just, it's the cold, hard business of the National Football League. And to hear guys talk about him, especially the young guys, like the draft picks, you know, David Njoku was a 2017 draft pick who struggled early in his career with at least in my view, what it meant to be a professional. And now you look at the player that David Njoku is and how and the professional that David Njoku is. And I think Jarvis Landry uh, influenced that in, in a very positive way. Nick Chubb talked about it. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, so many guys uh, <clears throat> recognize and respect what Jarvis meant. I mean, look... When the Browns acquired him from the Dolphins in 2018, let's be honest about it. The Dolphins sent him to to Cleveland as a big old F you is a big old middle finger to him. Okay. Because he wanted to get paid. He wanted a contract extension. They weren't, they couldn't come to terms and they said, fine, you want to go get paid. We're going to send you to the worst bleeping organization in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns. Funny. I think the Patriots tried to do that too. At one point, Jamie Collins, same story. 
right? Yep. And then they went ahead and brought Jamie Collins back after for that. less money. Remember, he went yep. and talked to Billy. He's like, yep. he wanted more money, and he was gone. But yep. uh, continue on with Jarvis Landry because I have a story too. Keep going. Yeah, and and so you know the Browns literally had not won a game, and I, a little bit of a broken record with Baker Mayfield. Same thing, right? They they hadn't won a game. They went through four and forty four, which was uh, historically the worst three-year stretch in NFL history for a team. And I I remember Jarvis's introductory press conference like it was yesterday. And he, you know, when fielding those questions, he just had a smile on his face. Now, granted, he got paid a lot of money, right, to, to be happy. But there was just something that I sensed about him. And I can't quantify it. I can't explain it. But I just sense that this guy was going to be a cornerstone. If the Browns were going to turn this thing around, this guy was a legit cornerstone to help do that. And he ultimately did do it. And he and I had a little bit of a rapport because like going through his first season in Cleveland, like, you know, our job is to, isn't so much, you know, the questions that get asked aren't nearly as important as the responses. So my job is to elicit responses on various topics. And so I would, you know, anytime the Browns had an opportunity to cross something off the bucket list, whether it was win a game, win a road game, win a game on Sunday, this, that, right? He he just, he would joke with me. You always have the little factoids for me, you know? And, um, and he, but he always had a smile on his face. Like he never took things personally. Uh, like us all has good days, has bad days, but he rarely let, us see his bad days. He he always tried to project the utmost positivity. And that is something that I will always admire and respect about him because let's be honest about it. When he got here, there was nothing to be positive about when you talked about the Cleveland Browns and you looked at the state of the Cleveland Browns. And he came in here with the attitude of, oh, you're sending me to football Siberia, huh? You're sending me to Cleveland, Ohio, where football careers tend to go to die. Well, guess what? I got something to show you. And you know what he did? He made the Pro Bowl his first two years here. Okay? Uh, that speed, like, he just, he he led on the field with his play, and he led off the field with his attitude. And And I always say, I always get accused of being a curmudgeon or negative or whatever. Um, we've been friends a long time, so you you, you kind of see the real me. I can be a curmudgeon. I can be negative. I get it. But there's always a reason behind it. Like, it's not negative for the sake of being negative or curmudgeon for the sake of being curmudgeon. Like, there's there's a reason for it. And um, I just, I I really admired Jarvis's willingness to walk in here with a smile on his face, determined come hell or high water to turn this franchise around. And lo and behold, three year, his third year here, Cleveland Browns won 11 games and were a couple of plays away from the conference championship game. And he had a lot to do with that. So let me, let me continue on with the Jarvis love fest, I guess is what we're having here because all I know is that when Jarvis first got traded, and we talk about that night because I think that was a super important night for the team. John Gor- John Dorsey had gone out and traded for Jarvis Landry, right? And Jarvis was at a thing called Jarvis Jam. And I kind of got the call quick right after he got traded from the 
uh, Cleveland chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation as soon as this happened because they were truly excited because at the moment that he started talking about getting traded to Cleveland, he was at Jarvis Jam in Miami to raise money for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which had touched his life dramatically. And, I, you know, as a lot of people know, my, I lost my brother to cystic fibrosis. I can't believe it's been 17 years now, but he's been gone 17 years. And I remember listening, like I was intent because I wanted to hear everything he had to say, not only about football, but his life outside of football. And it, the quote was, and I found it from the Palm Beach Post, when he was first traded to the Browns. And as you said, right, it was, it, they were trying to punish him. And he said, I'm excited, man. I'm excited about the next chapter of my life. Most of all, I'm excited about the next chapter in my life and creating this moment and these memories. And this is a hell of a last memory right here. Tonight is a hell of a last memory. So that's it. And he was talking about the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation at that night. But then he went on to talk about, you know, that he didn't have any regrets in Miami. And the, the other thing was that he kept saying, why not? Why not in Cleveland? Why can we not? You know, it doesn't matter. I'm on an NFL team now, and I don't care where I'm playing. And when I get the opportunity to play, I'm going to play as hard as I can. And I don't care what Cleveland's record is before I got there. I am there to help change that culture. And, you know, he did. But, you know, in my world, he did it on and off the field. I absolutely loved watching him play. He was unbelievably clutch, especially when we just needed a couple yards to get a first down. Jarvis was the go-to guy, and I don't care who was throwing him the ball. Landry was a guy you want on your team because he was going to help you get the first down, and he was going to do whatever he, he could. That's on the field. Off the field, the moment I'll never forget is the time that, you know, he was on the uh, he was on the set of it was some kind of Super Bowl. It was Jim Rome's show on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Is exactly what it was, and Jarvis gave a young man who had cystic fibrosis, Nick Kelly tickets to the Super Bowl and what was super interesting about it was I'll be honest I mean I, I I've had cystic fibrosis around me people with cystic fibrosis around me for my entire life okay because of my brother and when my brother passed away my family my sister-in-law uh, my brother's wife we committed ourselves to trying to find a cure for cystic fibrosis and what I thought was unbelievably uh, unusual was I, I'll be honest I didn't know a lot of African Americans that had cystic fibrosis and then here is this guy who I got to meet named Nick Kelly. And he gave him um, he gave him these tickets to the Super Bowl. Now, I've done a bunch of events with Nick. His message is so powerful and so uplifting. And it's a reminder of how we've come so far with cystic fibrosis in the last, you know, 45 years. Like when my brother had CF, they thought kids were dying from pneumonia. And Nick is a guy that like... Nick was one of the first guys that got COVID and he was in the hospital for a clean out for cystic fibrosis. And, and you know, normally that's like a two week thing. It's a big deal. And I said, Nick, how you doing? And we talked for a while and he was just like, you know what? I I've got COVID, but I'm going to beat this thing. And he was just so optimistic and he was just so powerful in his speech. And he, we talked about his relationship with Jarvis and I, I don't know, you know, most people don't know a lot of this stuff. They don't know that, you know, Jarvis, Jarvis, I'll just say a friend just to make sure that I'm not wrong, but had a friend that had cystic fibrosis and died from CF and that he had dedicated his, you know, his uh, philanthropic life to trying to help find a cure for CF. And then, you know, we all meet certain people in our lives that steer us and guide us. And we, I, I, I like to think that every person has something that can add to somebody else's life. 
And Jarvis indirectly added to my life through Nick. And I can't like I can't say enough about that story and what Jarvis did off the field and he continues to do for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And then on top of that, I just loved watching him play. I loved watching him play because you knew he was giving it his all. And it really bothered me that we didn't get to really talk to him. Daryl, how many times did you talk to him after the Odell incident? They barely talked anymore, right? Did he talk once after Uh, that? I don't even remember him talking after Odell was like, I don't, I don't think he did. I don't think he did either. I could be wrong. And 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 that no, was I don't think you are, Daryl, because I wait I loved listening to Jarvis. I loved what he had to say. Because you know what? For the first time ever, we had a pro in the organization, in the building, that came from another team and said, you know what? Screw it. I don't care how crappy this team was before. We are going to change the culture. <clears throat> he does that not only in football, but he does it in life too. And I'm glad that he's got a place to play right now. I know he hasn't had a ton of receptions and hasn't had the greatest year in, in New Orleans. But I personally thank him for all he did. Yeah, and and part of the reason he didn't talk was uh, just professionalism. He he did not want to speak from, uh, <clears throat> you know, emotion or whatever. Uh, Odell's his best friend. Um, and looking back on that situation, the Browns sided with the wrong guy. They did. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? It feels that now, way today, now, doesn't it? Now, today – Obviously, Baker's not here anymore, so certainly. But you understand what I mean. Like, yeah, it's like we're trying to figure out what happened. I the, the hard part is I'm a Baker fan too, but yeah. there was – I'm trying to remember the game. I think it was Cincinnati. That oh, I think it was Cincinnati. Odell was just wide open all the time, and they were like, screw it. We're not – maybe it was too. Pittsburgh. They were like, I'm, we're not yeah, even going to put someone on him because the Browns aren't going to throw to him. Do you and remember then, the game? Yeah, and then late in the game, Baker hung – Odell out the dry over the middle. Remember that? Yes, I do. That was against Pittsburgh. And then that that was the beginning of the end because then that's when the the video from dad came out. Yeah. Yeah. And then that that was the beginning of the end was that Pittsburgh game. Yeah. Daryl, there were, there were plays in that game where Odell was five feet down the road on the other side of of the, of the yardstick wide open. Yep. And there was no way Baker could have missed him. Yeah. And you know, it was so tough. So like, that was one of the that was one of those situations where to this day, you know, I I I'm one of those people that when I'm wrong, I have no problem saying that I'm wrong because sure. I just I feel I have a responsibility to fans to when I'm wrong to 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 be wrong, you know, say that I was wrong. That was a situation that I misread and that I was uh, <clears throat> I was wrong about. But part of that was we didn't have access that year either. Like right. You know, so you couldn't gauge the locker room. You couldn't walk up the guys and, you know, whisper back and forth and, you know, get the real deal of what's going on and, and things like that. And I'm not making excuses, but um, I, I just, it's unfortunate that, you know, could you imagine if the Browns had Odell and Jar- Jarvis with Deshaun Watson? Oh, you know fire, especially the way before Odell got hurt too. Yeah, That's but, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, if you think about it's that. what we dreamed of. Now, it's granted, Amari Cooper might not be here right now if if that were the case, but and and Cooper's been great. I, Who I, knows? I, Maybe Cooper would have been here. Hang on, Daryl. Let's talk about this too. We're running out of time in a second. Let's come right back. We'll keep going. We'll, we'll be right back. <laughs> 